let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we're back with another snippet. And once again, we have beer in glass ready to go, don't we, mate? We do. And um, beers from Amity Bruco. Uh, we've both got the Red Lane Extra Special Bitter. But before we get too much into that, we're not alone, Steve. No, once again, we are joined by a very special guest drinker this week. Welcome to Opinions, Jules Gray from the Hop Hideout. Jules, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Steve and uh, Martin. It's really nice to be invited on here. So yeah, it's uh, just finished a day's work. I'm on the wine down, having a beer afterwards with you too. Um, so yeah, it's a nice way to kind of round off a Sunday, go back home for a Sunday dinner. What have you got in the glass, Jules? Well, um, I've sort of, because it was, it's just come out recently and I'm probably going to talk about it maybe later on in the in the uh, in the show i've got indie graft so this is the collaboration that uh, donzoko brewing company and myself and lots of other beer shops um kind of bring together on and um, to try and sort of celebrate obviously the last few months um have been a real tough time still are um lots of different things going on in the beer shop sector um, you know, we've obviously been allowed to trade somewhat throughout the whole period. Um, there's been some real challenges. Um, you know, some beer shops haven't traded for, for personal reasons. You know, others have had to sort of pivot and do lots of different multi-channel selling. I've been actually going out, driving personally around Sheffield and dropping off home deliveries for people. So Nelson Soven Hop um, version of Graft. So I don't know if have either of you had Graft from Don Zoco. Um, I haven't, but the beer you're having, I had a couple of days ago. So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts in a few minutes about it. Because um, I, I, yeah, I thought it was good, but we'll talk about it a bit more in a minute. Ooh, well, that's positive. <laughs> well, let's let's hope the beer tastes as good as the calls that that, that, that is behind it. Um, so without further ado, let's get into the first beer tonight. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Yep. That's a, that's a tasty drop. Um, what's what's in our glass there, Martin? Isn't it? Well, the initial is definitely like toffee and caramel. First of all, oh, it's fruity as well, isn't it? It's like yeah. properly fruity. There's definitely some fruit in the background there. It's definitely got a cask feel to it, both mouthfeel and aroma. Very smooth. Um, looking forward to getting into it a bit more. Yeah, so it's four point five percent extra special bitter. Um, doesn't really give any more detail on on the can than that no it gives um, nothing away does it no tasting notes marmalade caramel and earthy that's that that's about all they give us and we probably should say at this point we are very grateful to to, to amity for sending across three beers to us to try yep. so we're both doing the esb to start off with and then i think you're going to move on to the american pal Yep. A little bit later, and I'm going to do the hells. Um, so we'll look forward to trying those. Jules, how is the Indie Graft tasting? Uh, it's delightful. This is the third time that I've had it. So I, I initially, when I first came in, I snaffled the can away for myself. And um, I went round to my mum's house. Um, and I shared a can with my mum. Um, because she loves Don Zoko's lagers. And she typically likes Belgian beer as well. So I thought... It'd be really nice to um, you know because obviously through lockdown, I've not 
lot of like a lot of people not being able to see you know see or, or uh, visit your family um doing doorstep drops for her so she can get medication and food and um, that was it for you know a month. Um, so it just felt really nice to be able to go around there and share this beer with her um, it's got a real smooth body he's added um, spelt and locally grown spelt and buckwheat and it's got this really smooth kind of a bit like a New England IPA you know that pillowy soft body um, which is uh, and it's got this full mouth feel which I think some of the yeast uh, that he's used I know he's used potentially I think a saison yeast and also like a wine yeast um, Beaujolais wine yeast so it's this kind of this vinous um, wine sort of beer thing going on which is really it's got really complex really interesting um, it's kind of uh, described I mean it's been hopped with Nelson Sovin so it's got kind of loads of those um, I mean, I love New Zealand hops anyway, um, but again, they can be quite sort of whiny in their characteristic. Um, gooseberry kind of notes like that. Um, it's delicious. Love it. So yeah, third time I've tried it. First time was with my mom. And I told her the whole story about beer coming together. And um, she, she said to me, she said, I like it. I don't like it as much as I like big foam. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, a little bit gutted by that. Um, you know, my mom. Mom speaks her uh, opinions, and that's why I. That's why I get on with her, and I love her so much because she's always honest with me. Fantastic! Um, it sounds like yeah. we should have had your mum on as, as, <laughs> as, as, as well this week. To, to be fair, if she's got if she's got sh such strong opinions. She should have been on as well. <laughs> Maybe we could line it up for the for the future, Jules, when you come back again. Um, I, I, I like I said, I had this um, only a few days ago, and um, I, I found it just a little bit weird, a bit odd, but a very satisfying blend of different styles. They seem to, like the descriptions you gave are very, very accurate there, Jules, and they managed to put them all together. And I'm not sure it all should have worked, because like you say, there's a lot of whiny characteristics. Um, but yeah, I've got it down as a bit fruity, a bit funky, dry finish, and very satisfying. Um, really, really enjoyable. Is it a 500 milliliter can, I think? Yeah, I think it is. It's definitely uh, it's quite sizable, isn't it? One. Yeah, five hundred mil. Yeah, you're definitely getting your money's worth. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I can see where your mum's coming from as well. Um, if she's got used to the Donzoco lagers, this is, and even if you like the Belgian Belgian styles, then this is going to be a bit of a, a leap at times if you've got an expectation of a lager. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree. I think pushing the boundaries, if you're doing it in the right way with the right intentions, is is a good thing. And for me, it, it, it did it. It did it. So I'd say a big thumbs up to Don Zoka once again. And is, is that proving quite popular as a beer, Jules, as well? Is, is, with, with your punters, are they, is, is that one that they're, they're kind of going for? It sold really well, actually. Yeah, I think it was kind of good timing because, um, I'll be honest, kind of post, you know, sort of 4th of July when there was the big um, sort of hospitality reopening. Obviously, it wasn't you know, everywhere because people have taken their time, understandably. I'll be honest, like from the 4th of July, things have dropped off a little bit, um, which I completely get. You know, people are maybe now getting a haircut, you know, getting some clothes, you know, sort of doing other things um, in their lives and not just sort of spending their money on, on food and drink. I sold quite a lot online. I did a little tasting pack. Yeah, it, it was a real positive, like, little boost just at the right time again. 
Um, we've got a bit of national um, coverage, so like drinks retailing, um, some beer shop like Vessel in Plymouth, they were on the local radio. Um, so it was quite nice for sort of beer shops around the country from Scotland to you know, all the way down to, to Plymouth and further to sort of get a bit of recognition as well, because I mean, since lockdown, you can buy good beer everywhere, direct, you know, takeout. So it really is like a consumer's paradise, really, isn't it? So, you know, the little business, you've kind of got to try and reminding people that you're still there to shop with you. Well, you've kind of, you've kind of touched on it there. And, and, and I want to just jump into this while, while we're there. Obviously, the, the last few months must have been a, a fairly tough time for you as, as, as an independent retailer. So when, when the, the lockdown was announced, did, did you close initially and until you could find a new way of doing business or did you try and find a way to stay open how how was the experience for you as as a as a shop owner but it's so difficult to put this into words because i think like like a lot of people that it was just such a roller coaster of emotions i mean you know i physically cried hours um i've sort of been elated that i've been able to be open again and then there was so many, every day there was like a different announcement. So when the lockdown actually happened on, I think the, either the Friday 21st, 22nd of March, like everyone shut, um, you know, and then every day there seemed to be like a different announcement. And I, th I think like everybody else, it was like hours watching the news, reading things on the internet. But we actually closed for two weeks because it's slightly different in the fact that we haven't got a bricks and mortar shop anymore. When we, when we um, started, we were kind of in an antique centre, renting a space. Then we moved into our own bricks and mortar, uh, like retail um, slash um, drink-in space. And then in March 2019, we moved into this city centre food hall. So obviously when restaurants and pubs shut, the food hall had to shut. It was kind of so panicky, like run up to that, we were like, cleaning all the lines down and locking everything away in the cold store. Because you know, you're thinking about things like safety, security, if nobody's there, you know, a place is going to get broken into. You know, sort of all these um, the things that go on in your head when you, when you sort of run a business. And then, yeah, when we shut for two weeks, it was just literally every day, like, like seeing what was going on. And then, um, you know, government... Um, I do have to shout out Seba. So James at the Society of Independent Brewers, he actually was sending me quite a few personal messages, like with updates. He he was the first person to send me the update on um, the government announcing that off-licenses and beer shops and obviously trade elements at breweries could open. Um, so obviously when that came through, I then had to have conversations with the food hall in, in terms of what I would be able to get access to and how to operate. Also personally, like, you know, my um, health and my customers' health and, and um, well-being is the number one priority. You know, ultimately, I can't be putting them at risk and I can't be putting myself and my partner and my family at risk. Um, so we sort of decided to do reduced hours. We decided to try and... Um, Sheffield home deliveries and mail order 
Um, so obviously with it being liveries, you can do that out in the open. You know, you're reducing risks. You can sanitize every step of the way. Um, you're controlling the situation. Um, so, and then obviously you can deliver at a distance as well. So we were sort of, um, ours was very much a compromised position. So we got access to the food hall a couple of days a week. Um, we were doing home deliveries and just, um, and just trying to keep going really. Uh, so we were doing all right. I mean, overall, over the period we've traded down, um, you know, some people, some maybe independent beer shops that own their own business might have been able to get access, you know, seven days a week. They may have been able to um, uh, react, I guess, to, to that potential upsurge in, in sales. I wasn't in that position. I could only get access two days a week. Um, so yeah, overall I've traded down the period, but I've just, I'm just grateful we've traded anything because, you know, some, some friends and colleagues in Sheffield, you know, who've run pubs have been completely shut and have been unable to do the takeaway option. So I'm just grateful that we were able to do something and, um, just you know, everything's been quite a big, uh, I can't even put it in words, like reading a 40 page document try and understand in like two or three days time how you're going to reopen on a day it's just unbelievable really the amount the lack of time that the government's given um, certain sectors to, to be able to adapt to change but there's always going to be changes there'll, there'll possibly be further lockdowns that we have to think about as an industry and how, you know how do we cope uh, with that so I think there's a lot of people thinking ahead now about um, ensuring that they'll be able to um, get through those uh, of times that will be coming up. You know, the um, the the forty odd page document. Me and Steve did look at that, but we obviously were looking at it from a a distant perspective, as in we didn't have had to implement any of those uh, guidelines, rules, and suggestions. And it was it was a hard read, to be honest. It was a hard hard read that you guys got only like you say only a few days beforehand um which was ridiculous and like you say everything's in a even though you know where you are right now with everything going on there's such a state of flux for you guys all the time now so i can fully appreciate your uh roller coaster emotions or emoji roller coaster depending which way you want to talk about it but um you know it, it must have been hard it must time must have gone very slowly and very quickly over the last five to six months I imagine yeah well this is the other thing not not every story is the same um so I don't have a bricks and mortar shop so I couldn't apply for the initial round of government help support um luckily with the furlough scheme because I'd just taken on a part-time member of staff and he started like four days before the date that the government came up with. Um, so I managed to um, be able to apply for the, the furlough scheme. Obviously, I've not been furloughed. I've been paying my own wages you know, all the way through. Um, I've been able to claim 80% 80 furlough for my new part-time mem member of staff. So he's been furloughed longer than he's actually worked for me. <laughs> and I've also been paying the... Uh, uh, 
in his wage up so that he gets the full his full wage. That's that's great to hear though that you as an employer have have taken that commitment to actually top up that salary as well. So even 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 a brand new member of staff, you've still committed to paying them a full wage over over this time. And obviously that's you're taking a hit on that as well, aren't you? At, at the end of the day, because you're not during that time you haven't been making as much money. So, so you, you know, you've you've had to take quite a big hit on continuing to pay that that member of staff yeah. as well. I mean, I'm kind of trying to think about it in terms of the longer picture, because I think sometimes if you get stuck in just the moment, um, it can be a really um, frustrating, a little bit depressing, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, you know, place to be. So you've kind of got to sometimes step out. And like objectively look at the position you're in and go right hang on here a minute you know so for example for us I've start, I start we started in 2013 so you know I'll be coming up to being around for seven years I've had some amazing years hopefully together you know as a as a world I guess we'll all get over this you know if vaccines are coming uh, if we all do what we're meant to do and be sensible um in terms of the you know the guidance uh, that we're we're being given, you know we should be fingers crossed. You know, twelve months time, um, you know, over the over this or over the worst of it, and able to. You know, there's no doubt we're going to be going into some hardship and potential recession. Um, but you know, we all need to kind of come together to work through that, and then hopefully we'll we'll see a. Um, more positive brighter future and that's kind of what i'm have to say to myself every day <laughs> Only it, three, it, three times a day it's a good mantra jules it's a good <laughs> mantra it, it's not even like it sounds as though it's been a challenging time it has been a challenging time for the, the independent sector hasn't it not just obviously not just in beer but just in general because you know we did see this widespread sort of you know essential lockdown of uh, of places and for, for a while there literally the only places we could get our goods were were from supermarkets because they were that they were the only ones that were still allowed to trade still allowed to open uh, obviously with certain restrictions and yes it's great to see that we're beginning ever so slowly to come out of the other side of that as things begin to gradually open but obviously as as we're seeing more things open and open what we're beginning to see is the potential impact of, of that as well and certainly one of the things um that, that we've seen today as as we record on day of recording is is the story that uh well it wasn't even a story the question that appeared on the bbc uh website was it yesterday afternoon? Yeah. It was pubs or schools, one of them is going to have to close to allow the other to open. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's an absolute non-question. We, we, we essentially know the answer to that is that we'll, certainly we should be doing all we can to enable schools to open because there's nothing more important than the education of our children. Um, but I just, I just found it really strange that that was the headline that the that the BBC chose to lead with well go back to what you said earlier about like you know clickbait um it's it's a fucking ridiculous question isn't it I mean my son's uh second year university coming up regardless of whether he can do that online and remotely he wants to go back to Plymouth he wants to be back in that university environment 
your boys, as much as they may or may not moan about school sometimes, the whole benefit and to talk about school as a holistic uh, environment rather than just what they're learning, that whole ability to be mixing with people and be with other children and have those role models and teachers and stuff is vital for, the, for, for us as a country uh, and us as a nation and for the kids. Personally, I don't understand why they suddenly popped up with pubs as the only thing you could close down versus schools. Seriously, in September, there are, I'm being asked to transition to go back into the office, which means the 10 journeys a week on trains for an hour each, each time. However, if sitting in a pub beer garden or going to a, a bottle shop or beer shop is considered much more dangerous than me being on a train in and out of the largest city in the UK. You know, it's unbelievable that for me that has come about because you've got all your health lobbyists in the background and they've seen an opportunity to say, well, we can just nudge pubs out of the way. Why we don't need pubs? Schools are much more important. Who's going to say otherwise? For example, but seriously, has any other country had this question come up yet? And like, I totally agree with you. It's just a non-question that they've just put those two together to cause friction in society again. Like for me, I'll say the word nuanced again. It's not even just that. Like, once schools and pubs kind of open at typically different times. Anyway, for a start, you know, schools are very early. Pubs trade is going to be in, in the evening. Um, I'll be honest, like, people haven't flopped back to the pub. Uh, pubs will be trading at, like, 50%, if they're lucky, of, uh, of, of people, um, you know, depending on the type of type of pub. I think pubs without areas are, are doing probably slightly better than just in, indoor um, pubs may have challenges in terms of uh, the space and people's confidence in, in sort of smaller snug like space you know for me as well it, it's why aren't we talking about staggering times why does one have to completely shut for something else like life isn't like that um if offices and, and and other people can stagger and rotor you know can't we do that more through society um i mean for me is what happens if you work in the pub trade and you've got kids which um, there's thousands of people that are employed in hospitality in pubs. I'm sure some of them have children. I mean, does that mean, you know, and the furlough scheme is being reduced? Are you saying to people that, you know, they're going to be stopped from working, they're going to get less money on furlough potentially? We need, a, we need better guidance from the government. It can't just be so black and white. It needs to be um, more measured. It needs to be... Um, like say staggering times pubs also um donate a hundred million pounds a year to charities and considering the current government has underfunded so many sectors of society you know pubs contribute millions of pounds of value to great causes yeah no i completely agree with everything you said there jules and it just echoes sort of what i said in my thinking it's just it's almost like they've put the question out there They've leaked it to the press and the media so that it will distract people for a period of time while they maybe try and plan how this can work. I mean, it's not like they haven't had since March to think about how schools could reopen at some point properly. I, th I think maybe what we need to see for 
it is, is a little bit more of a measured approach to, to some of this because for, for the many failings that there have been in the government's approach to the last few months, I actually think what we saw this week of them saying, you know what, actually, we've seen a spike in cases, so we're just going to slow things down now. And, and yes, there's, there's a couple of sectors of the industry, of, of industries now that uh, are going to be hit by that again because they've now got to wait another two weeks to open. But it's the right thing to do because we've opened up a lot of, of, of things again. And, you know, obviously the last big, big opening being the hospitality sector followed by the leisure sector. And yes, as a result of that, we've, we've seen a spike in, 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 in the numbers again. No, no, no. Sorry, I'm going to disagree there. We haven't seen a, an increase in the, in the infection rate because they've reopened it. We've seen an increase because people are fucking idiots. Okay, yeah. the only, that is the only bloody reason. It's no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Because if every individual does the right thing all the time, that infection rate does not carry on increasing. And, and I've, I've, I've witnessed that today firsthand. We went and spent uh, a couple of hours just sat in a pub on, on, on the river locally to us this afternoon. And we saw a group come in and they we, we were sitting outside they were sitting outside they said oh there's a there's a few of us now but there's a few more coming there's going to be eight of us in total do you mind if we push two tables together and the uh the the the, the, the employee in the pub said no no that's absolutely fine you go ahead and i'm literally sat there with my head in my hands thinking it's not fine you, no. you're not allowed to do that it's not fucking fine to ask and it's not fucking fine to say yes seriously uh, yeah it's it's just a lot and so i think yes mate people are idiots it's it's as simple as yeah. that. so the government had to open up these businesses because people like these businesses being open but also the economy cannot carry on the way it is and but suddenly people just have gone from we're relaxing the restrictions to get bloody relaxed yeah. And that's not how it works. And, you know, the local restrictions which have gone into place, even, you know, uh, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, you know, which is a fairly self-contained part of Australia, is now going to have a curfew between 8pm and 5am in the morning as of the time we're recording, because it carries on rising. And yet you feel like they would actually be able to contain that part of Australia quite well given the distance between various cities and the landmass over there. And, and they're not able to do it. And we're not learning any of these lessons. And again, we've had some nice hot weather. People have been out and about. And because they're outside, it's okay to high five hugs and stuff. No, seriously, as much as I wanted to hug my son the other week when I saw him, he's in another household. I'm in another household. I have other people coming into my house. Seriously, you can open up almost as much as you want if people do the right thing. I think, it's in, I think we've uh, aired that one quite nicely. I, I, I think you, you've got your frustrations out, mate. I just I, want to I make do actually, sure. I, no, I do feel better for that. The rest of my Sunday evening is going to be a lot nicer now. <laughs> Let's, um, because I have noticed that after Martin's little semi-rant there, he's, he's, he's clearly finished his beer. So, um, Martin, what, what, what are your final thoughts about the Amity Bruco Red Lane Extra Special um, Bitter? I think the description was two out of the three. I found it, uh, the, the earthy aspect was definitely there. You know, reminding me of the cast beer, the caramel spoke about earlier. Wasn't getting the marmalade. I was getting more uh, red berry uh, kind of qualities from it. That, those kind of red fruits rather than the uh, marmalade. I would love to have an experience of that particular beer on cask. Cask version of that would be incredible. 
I think it would just without lift it. Without a doubt, yeah. It would yeah. definitely be an elevation in it. Yeah. You know what this is? I still haven't had a pint of cask beer. Not been able to yet. I tried to go to a pub, uh, to an outdoor gar- garden, and I assumed that they would be selling draft beer. When we got there, they weren't. They were just selling bottles and cans. No. No. I, know. I was no. like, oh. I would have cried. I would have cried. <laughs> Did you? I hope you didn't. I hope it wasn't that bad. Uh, I would have cried. I mean, I felt like crying, but I've done so much crying over the last few, <laughs> oh, few months. No. I was like, I'm done with crying. I've got to move on. I'm having a um, break from crying. <laughs> any so, final any final thoughts from you on the Don Zoko, Jules? You know what I like about Don Zoko, and sometimes these are the um, breweries that sort of like pop up like locally St. Mars the Desert. Um, you know, they're inspired by, say, you know, German beers or Belgian beer scenes. And in a way, I love it because they kind of get UK beer drinkers drinking these styles of beer that they may not typically have gone for. But because it's a local brewery or, a, say, a new UK up and coming brewery, they give it a try. I just kind of think, oh, that's going to open another flavor door um, to somebody's mind. And I just, yeah, I love it. I think we need to use that phrase, Steve. I, I was just about to say, I love that expression. <laughs> flavor door. That is we need, brilliant. Yeah, that has to, that has to fit, fit into a few shows in the future, I reckon. Let's, let's use this opportunity to dive through another flavor door uh, into our next beer. So the second beer this evening, for me at least, is from Amity Brew Co. again. And this is their Festoon Hell's Lager, coming in at 4.6%. Uh, Martin, what are you on? I've got this Sunnybank American Pale, which comes in at 6%. Um, I, I think you are drinking a beer that I've had, Steve, and I'm drinking a beer that you've had. I think so. So we'll reserve opinion until we've both tried it. Uh, Jules, what, what are you waving around there that we, we can see? That's a, a fairly local brewery, isn't it? It is, yeah. So Ashover, they're kind of sort of uh, South Yorkshire, Derbyshire orders. Um, but I've been, I want to try this um, um, for, obviously, lockdown um, because it's an international um, women's collaboration brew. Uh, which obviously happens International Women's Day, so that's the beginning of March. Um, obviously, for uh, pandemic reasons, I've not been able to, to get this beer until we've reopened and I got a delivery from Ashover. The Janine who brews theirs um, is brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's a collaboration uh, with um, Thornbridge, Neeps and Hampton. Hearthorn, who I'd not heard of, um, who are, I think are based in Derbyshire. It's a chocolate orange stout, 5.6%. Really good. It's like a pithy orange, or like a, a dark fruit cake. It's kind of got that thing going on, which is lovely. It does sound delightful. Nice. Nice. You've, you've beaten us to the tasting notes on that one, Ooh, so we, sorry. We, we should probably catch up, Martin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's let's dive in. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Oh, I'm loving my American Pale Ale, Steve. I, I, I told you you would. Um, I, I tried that uh, ahead of this week's show, uh, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed every single thing about that beer. Um, for And it doesn't even taste anywhere near 6%, does it? No, that was the first thing I was going to say. It's very soft. Um, it's got a, a lovely dry bitter finish, and um, some lovely citrus notes, both in the aroma and when you're drinking it. 
And if this show lasts more than about seven minutes from this point onwards, that beer's out of glass. Okay. Seriously, it tastes I'll, so good. I'll be very quick then. <laughs> um, the, the Festoon Hells is everything that you want from a Hells. Yeah, that was my pre-recording when we were chatting, Steve, pre-recording. I thought it ticked a load of boxes. Only four and a half percent as well. Yeah, really, really drinkable. Really kind of sweet, crisp finish to it. Um, really, really delicious. I've got to say, um, as, as as grateful as we always are when, when, when especially new breweries as well, send us yeah, beers definitely. to try. Um, these three beers from, from, from Amity would absolutely make me keep an eye out for any future releases because I think they've, they've nailed each of the styles, but in a way that they're really, really drinkable. I mean, they are, they are incredibly drinkable. They're incredibly drinkable. Um, they're, 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 they're nailing what they're trying to do. And although they're not giving you much of a descriptor, my, pay, my American Pale Ale, and I, I know it says extra special bitter, so people may put fullers into their heads, but if you just think of it as a bitter, it was just quality, quality, easy to drink. Stick that on cask. Give me a few pints of that in a pub beer garden with the sun. Lovely. Yeah. Now, I, now I've just got a quick question to ask to our listeners um, about Amity Brew Co. Because they are uh, a, a brewery that are very new to us, um, but they're based in Northwest Leeds. Um, and they are a group of friends who met on the beer scene having worked in the UK's best breweries. Now that's about as much as I could find out about them. So if, if any of our listeners from that area know a little bit more about the brewery or who indeed the people are behind the brewery and where they've come from, I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more information about them because from the three beers that we've tried, I'd say there's probably some pedigree sat behind that in terms of their knowledge and experience. Yeah, I'd agree, definitely. And also, there's been a bit of love online already uh, from our friends in Yorkshire and Leeds especially. So it feels like people know of or know the guys and girls behind it. So, yeah, any information would be gratefully received on this occasion. Give us facts. Me and Steve love some facts. We, we do love some facts. And, uh, and while, while we enjoy the, the, the rest of our beers, let's, let's, let's uh, turn to Jules for some facts. Um, so, so Jules, obviously you've mentioned uh, about the Hop Hideout and, and how its uh, beginnings were in the back of an antique shop. Uh, you've got your own premises and you've now moved to where you are now. Um, what are your plans for, for, for the future moving forward now? Because obviously things are probably a little bit different from what you were aiming them to be. Um, what, what are, what, what's, what's the new future of the Hop Hideout? How, how does business look now moving forward for the foreseeable future? Um, I think if I'm all uh, honest about this, I'm still working it out. Um, pandemic has thrown a massive spanner in the works because I did have a few um, aspirations, a few ambitions, some dreams, let's call them. And my sort of sensible common sense head says, you know, just survive, um, get some cash in the bank, have some cash flow. Um, we don't know what the trading um, is. Uh, going to be like uh, well I mean, I mean i know from being open for a month it's heavily down for me so yeah there's massive spanner thrown in the works i did have a few ambitions you know a few dreams i still kind of love to either open a um, potentially like a either a craft beer cafe or a micro pub like when i when i originally opened up hop hideout kind of actually thought i was going to open a 
micropub. And I did speak to, to Martin Hillier, um, the, you know, the original, say, new micropub um, guy. And um, I sort of decided to go down a different route for various reasons at that time. So my sort of theory journeys um, in like a long, a long period of time, I guess. And I just felt, I love cask beer, but I kind of felt I wanted to show what the world had to offer. You know, I love Belgian beer. Was this whole new world of, of breweries just focusing on, you know, different styles of beer that I guess weren't typically dispensed in a cask at that time. Um, so, you know, you would typically find their beer in bottle or on um, egg. And um, so I ended up opening up a, a beer shop, partly as well, because I didn't want to, I've worked in the beer trade for a long time and I'm kind of a bit sick of 12 o'clock midnight finishes. And I thought, great, maybe I can have a business that, you know, I don't have to work late. I could still have a potential family within that. The startup costs for a beer shop are a lot lower um, than something like, even like a micro pub or a, or a bar. Um, so it was for me. It was a accessible, more accessible entry um, business, small business. And you know, we don't all have um, you know, huge um, backers behind us. Like I literally started the business on five thousand pounds that I saved from my previous job. Um, and I just want to read some statistics here because um, I was on a um, virtual presentation by the Shine. Foundation and it was all about women doing in Africa a couple of days ago. So uh, Quasar Craft Brewery and um, he put up some data actually. And so from female founders data, 2.7% of capital investment goes to female founders. Um, you know, there's a severe lack uh, in being able to raise funds and investment for, for women at female owned businesses. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of challenges there. I mean, in the in the Brewers Association, unfortunately, I don't think CBA have these figures. Um, they've not been collecting that kind of data, I think. But in the US Brewers Association in 2018, I think 2% uh, of US craft breweries were, were owned by women fully. Uh, and in terms of brewers, 92.5% uh, are, are male and 7.5% are female. Um, you know, and that's in this kind of huge, bigger, burgeoning, you know, US craft beer scene. So yeah, there's, there's, for me, the beer shop entry is A, what I could afford, and B, I've just found less challenges to actually into and open up. Um, I've been doing a bit of beer shop, if you want to call it beer shop history research, um, over lockdown because I've had more time, um, more time on my hands. And um, I've been chatting to Ron Patterson. Um, a lot, a uh, well-known beer historian. And really from what we've kind of ascertained is that really beer shop in some form have been around for about 190 years. So there was this 1830 Beer Act, which like freed the market up and it enabled people to, to, to get licenses more easily, let's say. And now some years later after that, things were changed and, it, and, it, and they made it kind of um, more red tape to get licenses. But, you know, if you think about that, um, beer shops have have a history. And when you look back, what you might often find is that were women 
in retail, women have been allowed to run retail businesses partly because when their husband passed away, they were allowed to keep that business running. In retail and, and beer shops specifically, uh, you find, so I've found a, a list of Sheffield's beer shops and there's a lot of women's names there. That's because husband passed away and they were allowed to continue to run that business to provide income for their family. Actually, as a sector, it's allowed female entrepreneurship. So yeah, the beer shop sector, it allowed me to start a business on, on a, ver a very smaller amount of money. That's not to say that it still doesn't take a lot of time and energy and costs associated to it. I guess, I suppose this chat we're having was sort of initiated when I responded to Martin talking about corkage yep. and um, yeah and, um, I just kind of wanted to I don't always think consumers and I certainly didn't till I started working in the trade really like understand the costs that are there or sort of comment and I completely get this because when you start a business you've got to think about you know who your customer is and what they expect that's one of the things things that you know you go through in your business plan once that say can or bottle has been drunk in the shops or your pub or, or business you're still paying for recycling still paying somebody an hour's wage to clean up there's lots of these kind of additional things that um you know maybe you don't think about as a consumer and i totally get why you wouldn't i guess that's why i'm here to sort of share some of that so i wrote a bit of a list these are just some costs, uh, costs of goods and services that you might be um, spending. So you're getting the initial setup cost, which could be, I mean, your initial stock holding could be like £10,000, um, let alone the cost of licensing, solicitors, the shop fit, personal license, signage, um, obviously all your till setup, um, you know, buying a domain name, um, you know, you might not even turn a profit for a number of years because of depending how much you've invested in that initial setup of your business. Um, you've then got your daily sort of uh, annual running costs. So rent, you know, marketing, um, training, staff development, insurance, um, you're paying your paper, your ink, your bags, your accountant, electricity, water, um, ask if you've got lines um you'll be paying like your monthly um gas uh wages ni pension um you know we we provide a drink so like coffee uh, for, for staff um you know if you're doing a mail order part of your business you've got the boxes to buy um and a lot of these things you have to buy a lot of volume to get a decent price so you're actually sat on you know hundreds of boxes, hundreds of growlers, hundreds of, plus of paper bags, uh, website, bank fees, card fees. If you get over the VAT thresholds, you've got VAT to sort out, which I've got to do my VAT stuff paperwork this weekend in the QuickBook that I'm also paying for monthly. Um, cleaning, um, if you're you know, managing to make some profit as a, as a business, which is bloody tough, you're generally probably going to reinvest it. So yeah, it's there's there's a lot there's a lot to it. And I'll be honest, like I can come back with minimum wage. Like I earn less 
money now than uh, what I did when I was working for uh, a brewery um, back in 2012, 2013, when I left. I mean, that is an insightful list. I mean, if anyone listening to the podcast was thinking about opening a business anytime soon, I think you've just stopped them in their tracks, in all honesty. Um, well, there's different reasons for you see like <laughs> i'm i you know what uh, a few websites so if you're if you are wanting to start a business it can be so fulfilling like for me as a as a woman running and owning my own business has been so fulfilling in so many ways because when i was in a previous job i was told so many times that i couldn't manage and i couldn't do this and i couldn't do that obviously running my own business i've been able to show people that I can and I can do some amazing things um like set up a city-wide beer celebration under the Sheffield Beer Week banner you know like organize a craft beer festival where like one and a half thousand people come to you know I was told in my previous job that I wasn't management material um quite a lot of times so you know it's so fulfilling to be able to to have that direct connection as well with beer drinkers that's like one of the things I love is just seeing somebody discover a beer for the first time. I mean, the the insight that you've given us there, Jules, is just absolutely it, it's it's priceless. It's it's absolutely priceless, and I think and and anybody listening to this week's show will will, will fully appreciate the, the the breadth of experience and knowledge that, that that you've got before you went into running the the bottle shop itself, and 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 all of the considerations you've had to take on. As, as, as a result of that and it's it's just it's so interesting just to sit and listen to you talk about that experience as as well and we could we could literally honestly we could go on for hours i i think jules what we really need is if this time next year things have returned to some sort of uh, normality which we experienced in the past i think you should come back on i think um we can chat about this in even more detail and also with all that food for thought you've given us, now that our listeners have heard it, that poll and discussion we had before would be one worth revisiting. Our regular listeners will realise at this point that um, there's no opinions this week because actually what we've replaced that with is Jules basically talking about her experiences and, and the passion that she has for the industry. And if you want to continue to get involved in that discussion, use the hashtag opinions and you may very well find yourself in this next part of the show let us know write it down let us know write it down let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness write it down ian smith at a fine ian and this was via dm following last week's show just listen to the show cheers so much for the chat on the beer you've hit the nail on the head with the way you talk about it it's a little drier than we hoped and a little brighter than we expected always nice to hear folk talking about beer who know what they're talking about we're not so sure about that last comment, are we? Yeah, which, po- which podcast was he listening to? I'm not sure he was listening to us. But, um, <laughs> thank you very much, Ian. We really appreciate that. And we appreciated the, the, the Yarl as well, which we thoroughly enjoyed. From Johnny Beerboy at Johnny Beerboy, just listen to the latest episode. And while I re- really enjoyed all the guest drinkers, the old school style of just you pair gabbing on was lovely, familiar feeling. Like I'm imagining my first part pint of cask beer might be whenever that is. <laughs> I like that. Uh, from Fine Nails. Cheers to Martin and Steve for kicking off the latest show with a tasting of the hashtag happy birthday Jarl edition cans. And again, it was it was a pleasure. And again, thank you very much for sending them through to us. 
from Sean O'Reilly at Uncrulia. Late start to the highlight of my week. Regarding Citra, I read recently that it came out in the US in 2007, so it took three years to reach our shores. I think it shows that Adnams were close to the cutting edge releasing Ghost Ship in the same year as Citra and Yarl. Uh, when he says Citra and Yarl, he, uh, he's referring to Citra by Okamales, I presume, yeah. anyway. We're going to come back to that in a second. Hold that thought. Uh, from Richard Taylor at Richard Taylor 1608 Thanks for the good luck messages. Having the Vic reopen is a huge step back to normality for me and others. Although I have enjoyed these few months off, it's going to be great being back doing what I love. It annoys me some pubs can't get it right due to rushing open. And then from your boy, Rob Edwards at Rob Edwards 90 Always look forward to Thursday mornings. Another very enjoyable show, guys. Thanks, Rob. From Gareth at Barrel Age Leeds. Caught up with the last two shows, both really good. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Amity Bruco next week and hearing from Jules. Hopefully this show's ticked all the boxes for him then. <laughs> and hopefully, Gareth, you'll be able to tell us the information that we're looking for on Amity as, as, <laughs> as, as well. From Utopian Brew at Team Utopian. Great pod as always, guys, and thanks for the mention. Pulling my thoughts together on SBR over the weekend. We were approximately 1.1 hectolitres last year and guess around 3.5 this so very topical quick point on pod not sure a five hectolitre business quite as small as suggested probably one million revenue and six plus staff question mark so again that that still rumbles on that whole debate about the small beard duty it does i don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon is it from neil hayden at neil hayden 73 enjoyable friday morning walk soundtrack by opinions it still blows my mind that sierra nevada palau has been a lot around longer than hobgoblin yeah does definitely. me as well every time just to come back to the the, the citra comment that that um sean made that did kind of spark a whole discussion last week so uh, again for me and um fine fine hours i have no stats to back this up but i'd imagine the crop yield for 2007 2008 citra would be tiny so getting any over to the uk impossible citra december 2009 yarl may 2010 and ghost ship october 10 would have all been brewed with the 2009 crop and even that was limited coming in on that was will uh long mate uh, it was so low in 2010, it doesn't even show up in the variety tables. Production doubles in 2011 and it appears on the sheet. 98 tonnes harvested in 2010, 196 tonnes in 2011. That's 50% less than Goldings in the UK for the same year. It was probably niche, a niche variety when those beers were released. Jump forward to 2018, it's 25 times a crop. This graph showing um, average increase from 2014 is pretty, pretty impressive. We're going to link through to that in the show notes. If you want to look at graphs and stats, have a look at that. It is great info from Will. And then finally from Fergus um, Fitzgerald at Solbear from Adnams, I can confirm that we ran out of Sintra in 2010 and 2011. So the, uh, there, there was a lot of demand for Citra when it was first released, it would seem. When it became, when people started to know about it and became aware, I suppose. Let's get a final round of thoughts on the beers that we're, we, we've finished, probably. Yeah, finished. Um, yeah. I'm finished. Um, still drinking. Still drinking. I'll come to you last then, Jules. Uh, Martin, how was that American Palau? Fantastic. Um, I did share a bit of it with Michelle, and she fortunately, for some odd reason, decided to hand back a lot of it, and I've still finished it in time for the end of the show. It tastes lovely. It's got all those qualities in American Palau. It's got... It's all balanced. You know, like we love a, a nice, bitter, dry IPA, Steve, with lots of piney yep. resinous. 
this is all of those, but all balanced, all level, nice playing field, so drinkable. Give me another can. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved that when I enjoyed it. The the hells, uh, the festoon hells, much uh, along the same lines, completely drinkable. I could drink can after can of that. It's so well balanced, so easy to drink, so easy on the finish. Uh, really tasty stuff at 4.6%. Uh, Jules, how was your beer? Very enjoyable, I have to say. It's <laughs> um, yeah, it's like that uh, fruity, dark, rich sort of molasses uh, orange cake I sort of mentioned earlier in the tasting notes yeah it's lovely I'm still drinking mine because it's a 500 mil I've had both of my beers with 500 mil um, <laughs> unfortunately for you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so Jules listen thank you so much for, for for coming on with us tonight your insight has been absolutely incredible uh if people want to find you and maybe continue some of these discussions directly with you uh where, where do where they find you uh so you can find me obviously the beer shop is hop hideout which is just at hop hideout um i mean i i've got my own um twitter so i'm at beer underscore revere and um you know that's kind of got a lot more uh, of me so i do lots of other things i do a bit of beer writing um you know event stuff I like beer festival and then at chef beer week is the twitter handle uh for uh, the citywide beer celebration um so i think i manage about nine different social media accounts Not uh, okay. well, we'll link those three through in the show notes so people can <laughs> find them if, if they want to have a chat with you on, on on any of those uh martin what have we got coming up next week um, well, subject-wise, we haven't quite decided yet, Steve. So, obviously, we'll be um, having a confab during the week. Beer-wise, I do know, Brew York. Fortunately, yep. the last case they sent to us had ample amount of beers, very kindly stuffed in there. And I've got another two, which I can't wait to try. Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to trying those next week. That has been a great show this week. I've thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. Uh, and I, I look forward, Jules, You'll come back on again. We'll, we'll, we'll chat again in hopefully a year or so's time when, when things have changed. Martin, you and I will be drinking beer again next week. Until then, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, both.